You're listening to episode 209, Wired for Success with Dr. M.A. Sanchez. Oftentimes people think resilience is associated with being able to go, 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 and never have to take a break. Like, you know, I'm a warrior. I can do this. I'm a beast. Like, okay, you have grit. You're able to come back. You keep fighting, but you also need to rest. Otherwise, you're going to wear yourself down and then you'll be of no use to anyone else. So I think those are the major holes that I see with people is the issue of boundaries, exercising boundaries, and then putting an emphasis on self-care. This is the Dance of Life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, superstars? Welcome to another episode of The Dance of Life. So grateful to have you here today with me. Janla Von Zunt, inspirational speaker and author, taking it away for us today. The way to achieve your own success is to be willing to help somebody else get it first. So important and so true. You know, ultimately, any vision that you have is going to be greater than yourself. And so implicitly, that means you have to involve other people. You have to cooperate. You have to learn to communicate. You have to learn to be a leader. And what an appropriate quote for today's episode. My inspiring guest is Dr. M.A. Sanchez. She's dedicated more than 20 years of her career to studying, understanding, and creating solutions to assist high achievers reach their maximum potential. Dr. Sanchez's business is geared towards serving high achievers and leaders in business and in life by utilizing key strategies to achieve mastery in mindset, rewire their brains, improve communication and rich relationships, and eventually create a legacy of sustainable wealth, happiness, and life fulfillment. Her cutting-edge approach is built on principles of neuroscience, positive psychology, cognitive therapy, leadership, and coaching. Dr. Sanchez is a Forbes Coach Council member, certified executive success coach, and her work has been featured on ABC, CBS, NBS, Fox, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, A&E, and Bravo. If you want to check her out a little more, it's at www.dravsanchez.com. And her uh, upcoming, she has an upcoming webinar called Career Confidence, How to Position Powerfully for Promotion, Pivot, or Transition. That's coming up here on September 29th, the end of the month, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if this is something uh, that's in your window and if it's something you're interested in, I highly, highly recommend it. Dr. Sanchez is a superstar. She's an ultimate superstar when it comes to career, success, and leadership. So you don't want to miss this webinar. You can register. I'm going to put the link to register for the webinar in the show notes for this episode. So you can go to danceoflife.com slash podcast and the episode for that is 209. So we're going to put all the links there to register. Uh, so that is the Career Confidence web, uh, webinar. It's coming up on the 29th of September. Make sure you check that out. Or if anybody in your life that you know maybe is going through a transition right now, maybe they're wanting to pivot, they want to assert themselves a little more, they they want a promotion, they want to move somewhere else, You know, this will be a great opportunity for them uh, to do some growth. Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Sanchez about what it takes to be a good leader. You know, so many important dimensions to that. You know, how you overcome your own limitations. How do you advance in your career? How do you ask for a promotion or a raise? How do you overcome all these different roadblocks of personal and professional success? And also, how do you increase your self-worth? It's going to be central to our conversation today. And I'm super excited to share this conversation with you. Dr. Sanchez is a wealth of wisdom. So anybody like I said, in your life that uh, this will make a difference for. Make sure you share it with them. So excited to have you here, guys. Let's jump into it. Dr. Sanchez, Wired for Success. Here we go. 
Good. How are you? Good. I've had a crazy day. So if I sound a little tired, it's been a uh, it's been a crazy one. I went to the emergency room this morning for. Oh no! I'm so sorry. I don't know what kind of a fluke event was happening. My heart rate. I wasn't having a panic attack. I know that, but something was wonky, and they couldn't figure out anything because I take good care of myself. So. I have no idea, but I've been there since like five in the morning. I'm like, I still have two podcast interviews to do. I haven't slept. I'm like now is the time to practice. Now is the time to practice gratitude and whatever other nutrition thing that I know, eat right, you know, eat slowly, all the stuff that we know, right? So you're a trooper. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. You have quite the uh, background. I mean, you were a neuropsychologist. You are a neuropsychologist, but what got you on the path of doing what you're doing now? I mean, you're a best-selling author, you're doing leadership coaching. That's pretty exciting. A lot of, a lot of great stuff. Yeah. I found that I was using a lot of those same skills in the workplace. I had managed at a really high level and uh, my staff were often coming to me with issues and um, I was being pulled into management meetings to work with um, conflict management and problem solving and so forth. And then I just had my own kind of, you know, um, what do you want to say? My coming, my coming out event, I guess, where I, uh, work, things at work got really bad. They got to be very stressful. And so I lost that ability to really balance what was going on at work and at home. And so the job that I had once loved, everything that I was passionate about, I found myself dreading to go in. Mm. And so, um, what it ended up doing is, I had a um, kind of a life-threatening health crisis that was exacerbated, and I had to stop working. So I was so sick, I didn't work for nine months. Wow. And so during that time... Were you bedridden, or were you just kind of in the house? I wasn't bedridden, but I was restricted to my home because mm-hmm. of my health. And so it was just, for someone who was very high-paced, working 80 to 100 hours a week, like I really had to do a lot of internal work. And so um, out of that experience, I decided I wanted to do something different. And I realized that I had created a box for myself and put myself in it. Mm -hmm. And once I decided to break free from that, um, everything changed. I love that. You created a box and you put yourself in it. You know, we're making boxes all the time. Aren't we? What was was your box? I mean, if you could like describe the word or if it was a word for you or... I don't know, I it was more of like a phenomena, I guess you yeah. would say, or a certain role that I played. But the box for me was the good girl. I did what mm. was expected. I didn't ruffle feathers. I didn't go against the grain. I did exactly what you expect people to do. And what I found is that didn't work for me after a while. <laughs> I, I wasn't happy the way that I thought I would be. And so I had to take a look at that. It wasn't working for me. What do, you, do you think you're a natural born leader or is that something that you feel that you had to learn? You know, it's funny that you asked that because I was thinking about this the other day. I think I'm a natural born leader. I have a brother who is about seven years older than me. And I remember he was into sports like hockey and football. And he would always employ my help to like keep him on track, help him with all of his things that he had to do, his different techniques. He knew that I would crack the whip on him. And I'm not saying that's what a leader is, but I think at a very young age that I had this tendency to want to put things in order, to want to step up, to want to feel used and like I brought value. And that kind of carried over into my adult life as well. So I think I I just naturally had those skills. What do you think was some of your hardest leadership lessons? Well, I, yeah, some of the hardest leadership lessons I think are parlayed into life lessons for me. One of the things that I learned is that, um, vulnerability is important as a leader. It makes you to, it makes you more credible and makes people want to really follow you. Um, and the other thing that I learned is that, um, you can have it all without having to do it all. And so really that comes with you being able to find what all means. That's a, that's a good one. I mean, I, I, especially the vulnerability part. I mean, it's so interesting because I think we're shifting now 
from this old world, which was based on abuse. Really, if you look at if you look at every everything about the world, it was just based on abuse and control and power. And now it's shifting into cooperation, intimacy, vulnerability. You know, kind of uh, teamwork, all this kind of stuff. And I think a lot of people don't realize the value of intimacy in leadership. That's beautiful and, the way you said that. Yeah. I got a lot of that out of what I was reading about you. Is you know you're very much about relationships and bringing yeah. uh, people together, and, and intimacy came to me the word. But you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure you have your own way of describing. It. What's the value you think of connection, intimacy, trust? I guess you know you could call it that yes. in business and in mm-hmm. leadership. You know, I think that it speaks volumes because I really probably didn't understand how important it was until I found myself leading high performance teams. And, you know, these are people that are already very um, structured people. They're very goal oriented already. But what made them want to see me as more than just a positional leader and to be able to execute even in very um, highly stressful situations where we were under a lot of pressure? And for me, that, that credibility factor, that relational piece was the thing that helped me to be able to make better progress. You know, caring about the people that I was, um, a, you know, influencing over, having a real relational um, open door kind of access to me and them feeling as though that they could, um, you know, share with me about their life, their work, where they're stuck. Like, it's just a totally different way of interacting in a system where maybe um, employees maybe feel as though they're disposable or that they're just a number. Um, And so that was such a powerful thing for me. And when I was out of work, you know, the people that I uh, was managing over, all of them were checking on me. Like, that goes past, you know, your, your conventional ideas about, what people do in the workplace. And so now that I do this in an organizational sense and I work with developing leaders, I try to help them feel free to be able to do the same thing, to be somewhat vulnerable and transparent in their leadership. Yeah, I love that. You have a a quote somewhere. You said, uh, good leaders serve first. Mm, Yes. I like that a lot. What does that mean to you right now when you hear that? Yeah, to me, uh, what that means now is, just remembering that people matter, Mm. uh, that people matter. But I think the old me, if I was talking to my old self, the one who was working 80 to a hundred hours a week and had poor boundaries and couldn't say no and all of that, that that same quote wouldn't mean that you serve to the point of exhaustion Mm. or you serve to the point of incapacity. So um, that's very much what I work on with, uh, with women now. And as, as well as male counterparts is being able to exercise those boundaries have confidence and kind of know what the value add is that they bring to the organization. I think that's actually really a good point because boundaries, you know, I think especially in the world of high performance, everybody tends to have a particular personality type. If they're successful, mm-hmm. they have a consistent set of uh, traits, you know, and usually we call it type A or go getter or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but um, if that's your natural type, then it's very easy to burn out because you don't, you don't use, you don't use boundaries appropriately, whether it's in your, you know, I mean, I know in my own life, it took me, I don't know how long to just reserve the time in my schedule to eat lunch, like to eat eat like a 30 minute lunch and to do it mindfully. (laughs) It just sounds so, so silly, but you know, it's like the other stuff is easy. I can always go, you know, but learning to stop was the hard part, you know? So what has been your experience with boundaries? I mean, what have been some of the hardest boundaries for you to, uh, create in your life and, you know, what has been the, the difference now that you have those boundaries? Yeah, I think um, part of what you asked is what is the one of the leadership lessons that I learned? And I shared that, you know, you can have it all, but you don't have to do it all. Yeah. That was a boundary issue for me that I had to learn because there was a disturbance there. You know, my background and experience in the work world was very much about, you know, always being first, working the hardest, being the first there, the last to go home being dependable, reliable, you know, doing all the shoulds, right? And what that meant for me is I worked myself into exhaustion. And so um, now for me, the boundaries are still the same where I'm required to have to be aware of what's necessary in order for me to 
function optimally, uh, but now I'm a lot more aware. I'm a lot mm. more aware. I make sure I sleep, get enough sleep. I make sure that I eat. Um, I go stretch. You oh, know, yeah. I have to take creativity breaks. Yeah, I mean, even that is like, you don't think about, okay, if I go take a five-minute break, then I may come back and be more productive, more productive and more yeah. creative. Like, that's counterintuitive. But these are things that I do now for myself that I didn't really do before. What are some of the common things that you see people struggling with when it comes to boundaries? I mean, I'm sure you see the same kind of patterns, but what are some mm-hmm. things that you've seen in the people you've worked with? Yeah, some of the things I've seen have been things like people not feeling like they can say no in the workplace without judgment mm-hmm. or uh, feeling like their their time is not their own. And so being able to draw a boundary around that time and maybe how it inter- interferes with their personal life or their family life, um, issues having to do with how much you're paid or not paid <laughs> and being able to ask for more or feeling like you can speak up and speak confidently, uh, or dealing with pushback when someone doesn't have the same point of view as you, even though your uh, contribution may be valued and um, might even be a a more accurate assumption, just feeling uncomfortable about being able to assert a position. Uh, So I help people work a lot on issues related to confidence and clarity and uh, being able to speak and find their voice and, and ask for what they what they deserve or what they think they need that's a very hard thing to do for some people yeah i think for a lot of us honestly i think self-worth i mean at least in my experience has been probably one of the central roots of everything else you know it feels Mm -hmm. like it feels like whatever you feel is possible is all dependent on how much you feel you deserve it yeah you know because everybody in the creative space and the personal growth space we're always trying to expand what's possible right trying to create mm-hmm. new possibilities think mm-hmm. differently think creatively but i realized i'm like you know that stuff has a limit if you don't believe that you deserve it yeah. i think you don't believe it's possible like somebody with creative thinking can make you think that it's possible like oh i see that now i didn't see that before but mm-hmm. whether i take action towards that that part is determined if you actually believe you deserve it and i think that part like hits home it's like this you know, limbic brain primal you know, thing about self-worth. I mean, in your experience, what has been, I guess, I don't know, there's a multiple parts to this question. I mean, what has been the thing that you see the most in terms of self-worth and working on self-worth and how do you help people develop self-worth? Mm. You know, that's a very good question because, um, yeah, what I find people a lot struggle with in regards to the issue of self-worth is that they're coming with other people's appraisals or perceptions of themselves that they internalize. So um, it might not be something that they've created all of their own. It might've been messaging or things that they were exposed to that they now internalize. And so some of the, the shift in helping them move away from that is helping them kind of unpack what is stuff that other people have brought to them and dropped off and what stuff is maybe their own. And then we try to navigate ways uh, to help them, again, kind of give them power over those negative thoughts. What has been, you think, in your life, the, I guess, the hardest thing, you know, to overcome with self-worth or any recent lessons, anything that you're like, wow, this is still an issue for me and I'm, I'm practicing it, you know, or whatever. I mean, you can answer that however you want to. Yeah, um, that's a hard one. Because there's so many. <laughs> but I think, um, I think just asking, asking, asking using my voice to ask. Hmm. And, and I've, I've had to teach myself like that. Like delegating, you mean? or No. Well, okay, even that, yes. I guess it could take on more complexity and variations. But just the idea of asking, whether it's asking for something to meet my needs or asking for something to be taken off of me or asking hmm. for help. Um, But the ask is the hard piece for me because it means that I have to give over control to a certain extent. And, uh, and so (laughs) that's what I found about myself that I'm somewhat controlling. And if I can't control it, it makes me 
anxious. So having to ask means I put that in someone else's hands. And so what I've learned to do with that is to allow myself to be okay with the fact that someone may say no, that it doesn't result in a catastrophic loss for me or, you know, that I don't feel foolish because they said no or rejected or dejected, but more so that it's okay. And then if it's something that I really need or something that I need to pursue, then I've always taught myself to find another way. Mm. And I think that's the resilience piece that um, so many leaders have. They just maybe don't know when they're getting to the end of that, that wick, if you know, when they're burning out. Yeah. Where it's okay. I've been doing everything myself because I'm asking, maybe they're not helping me, but you've got to give yourself some way out of that loop. You know, it's true. I mean, leadership is, by definition involving other people. So it's Mm -hmm. like you have to, I think delegating is one of the hardest things, especially with the things that you're very passionate about or very, you know, that's close Mm -hmm. to your heart, man, that stuff is hard. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. I mean, how do you help somebody who needs to delegate to, to let go of the things even that are close to their heart? I mean, that's, it's tough. It's, it's, it's a balance for sure. But what are some strategies you think that are helpful? to delegate or let go? Yeah, I I think it would depend on what the task is. Oftentimes I find that maybe some of the tasks aren't as high touch as you might be thinking. Mm. Like I'm not turning over my life's work to someone. It might be something as simple as I need them to send an email or I need someone to go to this meeting for me because I'm double booked or I need someone to do, you know, and it's just that idea of helping them battle against those perceptions that they may have of themselves. They might Mm. think, well, if I have somebody else do it, then it appears that maybe I'm not capable or that, um, or maybe they have the issue like I had where you feel like you have to control it. Well, then I can't trust the product. So I have to watch them do it. And so really what I try to do with people is kind of find out what's underneath the desire uh, to try and hold on to the control of whatever the issue is that you need to delegate. And then we kind of work backwards from there and try to find kind of a win-win. Where can you feel okay with being able to let go of this at this level? And then we try to work our ways to finding that solution. Yeah, like letting go of the charge, basically, of that of what it means to you to hang on <laughs> or to have control mm-hmm. and then move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a client the other day that was sharing that she had been working on a project at work and uh, it was one that was draining her, her mental resources. It was just more than she could do, but now was an opportunity where she might be able to pass it off to somebody and she had held on to it for so long, but then she thought, well, maybe I'll give this other person an opportunity Because, you know, they're earlier in their career, this would be a great project for them. And I would also get the benefit of being able to gracefully step aside. Well, in that particular case, that that suggestion worked for that client because Mm -hmm. not only was she able to help amplify another woman in regards to her leadership and the opportunity that she had to take on a major product, but she was also able to unburden and unlevy herself from being involved in something that was such a huge time, time drain. It's so nice to let something go and not care about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, and be okay with it, right? <laughs> yeah. Hard, easier said than done. Easier said than done. You mentioned resilience earlier, and I kind of wanted to go back to that a little bit because I think resilience is so important. It's such a big topic. I mean, especially in high performance areas, corporate medicine, you know, and with women, especially too, you know, women out in the workforce, I know from my background, a lot of women in medicine and resilience is like a huge topic in, right. in that particular area. And, uh, and when you're a neuropsychologist, so you know that too, I mean, trying to balance home life, you know, with, with being successful and having a career and it's just, it's a, it's a lot of hats. How do you build resilience? What are some of the things that you see that people make common mistakes on mm. that, that, that sort of poke holes in their resilience, you know, and how do you, how do you build that resilience so that you can take, take on more if you need to mm-hmm. without breaking the camel's back? <laughs> I hear you. No, you know, it's, I think it's a lot of what we've already talked about. So the holes in the resilience I think come with maybe having the difficulty with 
being able to exercise those boundaries we were talking mm. about, right? And then, like you said, when you kind of have this type A personality, you have this tendency to go, 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 and you maybe don't see uh, the, the lights flashing that say that you've hit the end of, of your rope, right? Because you always think there's just one more thing that I have to do. So kind of what I encourage people to do is um, think about what it is that the responsibilities are in their life, whether it's work, home, what have you prioritize that and then think about what needs to happen in order for everything to run at its optimal best. Mm. Oftentimes people do not figure in self-care. <laughs> so that's, that's another one. hole. Yeah, that's a hole. And so when you start holding people to the responsibility, the accountability of caring for themselves, then it becomes easier to make some of those decisions about what has to be cut. And so you know, I think it's kind of counterintuitive for people to think that in order to be resilient, I have to care for myself better so that I can be refreshed and then return at optimal capacity. Oftentimes people think resilience is associated with being able to go, 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 yeah. and never have to take a break. Like, you know, I'm a warrior. I can do this. I'm a beast. Like, okay, you have grit. You're able to come back. You keep fighting, but you also need to rest. Otherwise, you're going to wear yourself down and then you'll be of no used to anyone else. So I think those are the major holes that I see with people is the issue of boundaries, exercising boundaries, and then putting an emphasis on self-care. That's important to resilience. Is there anything you do specifically like throughout the day for self-care that you really value? Yes. I um, <laughs> Well, you know, now that everybody's been affected by this pandemic, um, I have young children. So my kids are homeschooling at home and plus I'm working and I'm just you know, doing everything that I wasn't doing in the same space, you know. Yeah. And so part of my self-care is I actually get up and take a break. I do some stretches. Um, I get something to drink. I go see my kids. Like, that's that's great for me. Get a little time with them, and then I go back to work. That kind of stuff helps me. Or I'll take a walk. Um, you know, just anything to keep the juices flowing, to stay in movement. I do stretches throughout the day. Um, but that stuff's important to me. I love that. Cause I, I really am a big believer of little mini mindfulness breaks throughout the day. Mm. I think how you start is really important. How you end is really important, but throughout the day you can't control everything. So at least you can kind of have little breaks in between, mm-hmm. you know, to reset, like you said, to reset yourself, to kind of keep the juice flowing. Otherwise you go off the deep end and <laughs> you lose it. <laughs> Uh, you know, you mentioned in a lot of the things that you write about promotions. Like, I want to go back to that for a second because I think a lot of people have a hard time asking for a promotion, getting, uh-huh. getting that next step, working on their self-worth. Once they've worked on their self-worth, you had five strategies about how to basically really nail this next promotion regardless of where mm-hmm. you're at. I, I would love for you to go over them. I think they're, they're really great. So okay. what are the five strategies that people can employ to, to at least prepare for a promotion, whether they get it or not? I mean, who knows, but to do their best chance of, of possibly getting that promotion. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so I've created um, this model called the PVPI model for um, um effective positioning and um, executive presence. And so really what we focus on in the first four of those steps is making sure that you're adequately positioned. You know, where are you at in regards to your promotional campaign? Are you in a role that's promotable? Are you in a job that's going to give you the opportunity to get to that next level? And if not, you know, what decisions do you need to make in order to get there? Um, and this is all keeping in mind that you're having a strategy, right? So you've got to think about how you're positioned. Are you positioned adequately? And then I talk about value um, as being the next step in the PVPI model, because with value, it's not just about the value that you bring to the table, but also you're asking, are the types of contributions that I bring, are they value? Are they adding value to the organization or industry? Because the reality is, if you're trying to promote within an organization or promote in an industry, if the contributions you bring are not valued, then you're not going to get a return on an investment for what you do. So you got to think about that, right? 
And then um, the next step is about perception. And perception is about being able to shape how other people see you. Now, if I'm wanting to advance in leadership, I need people to see me and believe that I'm a credible leader. There's ways that I demonstrate that. But perception is an important piece. And so if that's disjointed or broken along the way, then people may not have an accurate perception of you. And so they're not likely to consider you as a candidate for that next level position. And then the last thing that I talk about is influence in the PVPI model. Um, the influence is about, it's really multifaceted, but it's about visibility and being seen. It's about being able to shape the perceptions of how others see you. And then it's also about being able to have an enterprise-wide mentality and to be able to have input into the decisions that change the course of how things are done in the organization or industry. So this even encompasses something like being seen as a thought leader. You're someone that is an influential person, you have influence, and basically people want to follow you because you've been able to do all of those three things so well. Lead with influence as it impacts upon yourself, lead with influence as it impacts upon others in relationships and lead with influence as it impacts upon the business. So the fifth step is kind of like a, a spoiler alert, I guess you could say, because on this fifth one, once you have the influence and you've gone through all the steps, you're adequately positioned, you know that you have value for what you do, you bring value, your values, add, um, your, your values and contributions are considered to be a value. You know that people have really great perceptions of what you do, and so they see you as a leader, and now you have influence. Then the next piece is about being able to negotiate for maximum impact. And I teach people to do this from the perspective of considering negotiations as being value-based. So again, I'm talking about adding value. You can come to the table and know that we're talking about how I am able to help kind of move the footprint of the organization forward or how I'm able to to impact upon this um, association in a way that's going to result in some type of profit for you, or I'm able to impact this industry in a way um, that is valuable. And so leading with value-based negotiations means you have an emphasis on wanting to bring value, add value, and lead with value. That's I love that. I mean, that's the future. Honestly, you look at uh, like we were saying earlier, like the economy and everything is changing. It's moving towards an authentic space. I think that the old systems are all kind of crumbling and it's going to be mm -hmm. an exciting time to be alive because I think people crave that authenticity. They crave yes. that interaction. They crave value-based, uh, you know, interactions, whether it's with customers yes. or with, with uh, employees and bosses, it's all about value yes. rather than whatever else was there before. Yes. I mean, Gosh, you brought up so many things. Reputation was one of the things that stuck out to me. And it's, it's applicable if I think if you're self-employed and have a personal brand or obviously if you're in a company as well, you're trying to build a reputation so that you can create you know, success and, and further your career. What are some of the things, what I'm curious about, I mean, obviously there's, there's big ones that, that build reputation, like being consistent, you know, being trustworthy, all that kind of stuff. But what are some small things yeah. What are some small things that really, you know, that people maybe aren't aware of that aren't as obvious, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. less obvious, not necessarily small, but less obvious mm -hmm. things that people can do or should be aware of, I guess, both being self-employed with a personal brand or, you know, if you, if you're in a career situation, what are things they can be aware of to further their reputation and make sure that they're really mm -hmm. bringing value to other people they're creating consistency they have that uh, sense of trust that they inspire mm -hmm. in other people it's the little things I want to know about the little things yeah the little things I think um, because I've been an entrepreneur probably longer than I had ever worked for anyone yeah. and so uh, I remember when I first started my practices I um, sought out a mentor of mine and I you know was wanting to sit at his feet and ask him, you know, what are all the things I need to do in order to be successful as an entrepreneur? And he told me what thing, and I was kind of mad, but it was true. <laughs> he said, do good work. I mean, it was that simple, do good work. I think sometimes we get so focused on 
sometimes we get focused on being showy and having things look a certain way and yeah. be fancy looking or we get focused on volume or I got to do so much to be more efficient or quicker or whatever. But doing good work is something that uh, really kind of builds a legacy for you as an entrepreneur and as a professional because people experiencing you as that per- people experience you as that person that will give them bumper to bumper service experience that is above all else. So I would say it is kind of obvious, but also not as obvious and can get lost is the idea of just doing good work. Um, the other thing I think too is important is um, to be focused on listening. Sometimes people think in order to be seen as a thought leader, a person of influence that you have to talk a lot. And really, that's not always the case. Sometimes listening is more effective. So that's kind of just a a silent takeaway. And then the other thing that I've learned, too, is how to ask questions. Ask questions in a way that help people feel like you're engaged and interested in what it is um, that's going on with them, but also what it is if they're wanting to engage with you about a service or an opportunity or even give you an opportunity to be able to ask those questions. That's great. I mean, I love it. Love all of it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned this last part about questions and mm. I love that part because really, you know, it's like focus less on the answers, focus more on the questions. If you have good questions, you know, uh, life will be very different. So mm-hmm. really I think what it is, it's about communication and what have you seen mm-hmm. are some of the most effective leaders and what do they do in terms of their communication asking questions obviously you know listening mm-hmm. you just mentioned a few things um but what in your experience what do you find when you're working with people that they're ignoring making a mistake on not doing so much whatever and then how do you shift that into you know the, the positive communication the effective communication with the mm-hmm. value-driven communication and what mm-hmm. and what does that look like you know what what is the shape of mm-hmm. that value-driven communication look like? Mm, That's good. You know, I think that's kind of like hard to address in a way that seems succinct, but I would think it boils down to just three things. One, I would say being concise because leaders can sometimes be a little long, right? So be concise, make sure that you speak in a way that people can walk away from you and know what it is that you meant for them to take away. So I'd say be concise. Um, but the other thing I'd have to say too is part of that communication strategy is to be inclusive in your communication. Mm-hmm. And so inviting other people into the conversation and having somewhat of a play or um, you know a conversation back and forth is helpful so that you're not talking all the time. And again, this is about listening because then you're listening to find out if you, is your message resonating. Um, and then the other thing I think about communication that's particularly important or people where people have hiccups is that, um, just the tone of their voice, how they maybe phrase something, how you say it can sometimes be misinterpreted. And even though you may be passionate about something and you may not have the intention of coming off as sounding demanding or, um, abrasive that sometimes that can happen. And so just being mindful of your audience. Um, knowing what it is that you want to say going in there, making sure that that's communicated well, and then being mindful of how you say things, how it comes out and what you say. How do you, how do you balance that? I love all that. How do you balance that with, let's say you're a people pleaser and you, (laughs) (laughs) I'm raising my hand, but. Yeah, uh, like confession. Right. (laughs) How do you balance that with, you know, if you, if you are very, conscientious of other people's feelings or if you don't want to hurt other people's feelings or if you want to be liked or whatever, how do you, how do you help somebody in a situation where they are this kind of person, but they have to Mm. be very assertive or there's a particular project or a situation or community, somebody has to get disciplined and okay, let's skip the scenic route. We have to get a result here. Something needs to be communicated, but I also don't want to, you know, look like an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. How do you you balance that? How do you help somebody deliver that information in a way that it doesn't 
trigger the other person. Let's put it that way. Right. You know, I think that that's a very careful dynamic that you have to be vigilant of, like aware of, um, to make sure that you don't disrupt things further. If you're already dealing with someone where there's strained communication, it's a potential that going in there and kind of, you know, with all seller uh, spiring, it could be conflictual communication. So yeah. I try to encourage leaders to be a little intuitive about how they go in communicating, especially when you're in high stakes situations and having a mental picture of if you know your team, who your team is, the different personalities in the room, uh, maybe identifying who could be an advocate for a particular message that you have to convey if that's necessary, where you're kind of inviting people in for the win. I also believe that, you know, as times leaders, you have to be motivational, inspirational. You have to have kind of a toolbox of skills that you're able to use depending on your audience. And so I would say draw from that. And if you don't have that in your toolbox, then developing some of those skills, I think, would be a benefit to you. Um, but if you're a person who's a people pleaser and you're coming in um, worried about being able to assert in a way that people will take seriously, um, part of that is a perceptual disturbance, right? There's a, a disturbance of how people see you already because you're showing up that way. And so part of this is you having to undo the work that's been uh, made here. And so I think that can be done very easily by you um, being assertive with what you have to say and being succinct with what you have to say and then leaving some space or open uh, openness there for them to have a response. I think people are more resistant when they feel like you're like, you're giving me an order, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, this, and you don't let me say out. anything. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you're, if you're in a militaristic kind of situation where you're dealing with that and that's kind of the dynamic of communication, fine. But you'd even find people that work in <laughs> military settings still have to be effective in their communication and have to be mindful. So I think part of it is just how we view communication and we may not have the insight as to how we're coming off. So once you're more aware of that, I think you can uh, get that back on track very quickly. And was there a recent situation where you had to have a difficult conversation? And if so, what did you do? How did you navigate that? Well, you know, I haven't had any difficult conversations lately in that way, but mm -hmm. I have coached some of my clients through some difficult conversations. I'll share one with you. Um, I had a client who was dealing with a, uh, a, a coworker who had a tendency to kind of um, take credit for her work. <laughs> and so she would offer something up in a meeting. It would kind of be like no one would really pay attention. And then this coworker would share the same idea and it would be well-received. Wow. So, you know, there's some other things that are operating there that are at play in regards to um, unconscious bias and things that we work through. But on, on, on the real, just getting down to it with her and this coworker, I'm always about being relational. So, you know, part of me walking this person through is saying, you know, is this something they're intentionally doing or they don't realize that they're doing it because it may be a different strategy depending on what you think is going on. In this particular case, she wasn't sure. And so it required a conversation. And so I just kind of coached her through maybe being more exploratory with him in her discussion rather than being um, condescending or ac accusatory. And out of that conversation came so much more than she expected. Actually, this, this staff member was able to share with her how, you know, being in those types of meetings was very uncomfortable and sometimes anxiety provoking and the pressure of just having to say something. But it wasn't wow. necessarily intentional. It was just his own internal need to feel as though he could present himself in a way that looked like he knew what he was doing. And so I coached her through as well, being able to feel more confident about bringing more ideas to the table, showing up more often and being seen in other uh, venues besides just that meeting as a person who was bringing authority. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, they probably have a much better working relationship now. I mean, if they're still working together, but that's huge. That's huge. I mean, there's so yeah. many ways that you lose energy in the, especially with office dynamics, man. It's just mm -hmm. those, those relationships that don't work in the office, that person giving you the stink eye across the cubicle. <laughs> yeah, just, so much. That just takes away your productivity right there. So well, being able to, you know. 
Yeah, and you know, when you think about just kind of inviting other people in for the win, if she's able to talk to this person in a very like human way and say, you know, it, it, I would really like it if, or can you help me out with this particular issue? People are more inclined to be of service than they are to resist. Yeah. So, you know, if it's an issue of he just wasn't aware he was doing it, now you brought it to his awareness. So now he's going to be even more aware of not making that same mistake. Well, it's really being authentic, right? I mean, at the end mm -hmm. of the day, you're really just learning how to communicate authentically mm -hmm. rather than from, you know, all the stories in our minds, all the, the structures we have about what's happening and interpreting the world yeah. and things like that. What does authenticity mean to you? You know, that's a great question because I was just thinking about that as you were talking. I think everything to a certain extent or mostly everything we've been taught about how to, re to interact in the workplace and sometimes even in areas of life is kind of wrong <laughs> because you, you kind of work from this idea that you have to be perfect. And that's what creates the disconnect is that we're not perfect. We're human. And so when you fall short of that, you tend to beat yourself up and be overly critical. And so, um, you know, I think authenticity to me for my own self has been being free about being able to be a part of the journey and enjoy it. And what I try and coach folks around is the same thing for them is finding a way to bring value, add value to be themselves that is uniquely to them, that is unique to them. And, you know, helping them understand that nobody's going to do it exactly the way that they do it because they're so unique and being okay with that. Like that's something you should um, celebrate rather than try to hide or, or, or stuff, you know, by feeling like you have to have this perfect image and look like everybody else and dress like everybody else and be somewhat robotic in your presentation. No, be yourself. Do you think people, um, this is kind of an interesting question, but do you think that vision, having a vision for your life, having that sense of, I guess, alignment or purpose is important for being authentic? And if so, what's the relationship? Yeah, I think it is important. I, I, I tend to think that if people are out of alignment with their vision for their life, their purpose for being here, that they are going to find a dissatisfaction when they go and pursue efforts that take them off that path. And so, you know, I work a lot with folks in the organizational or folks that are working and they have a job that they dislike, but they've been doing the same job for 20 years or 15 years or whatever. And you wonder why it just feels like a strain on you to have to do this. Um, but, you know, it's part of like working backwards again about like, what are your strengths? What are the things you love to do? What do you dream about doing? I think after a certain age, we maybe think that we can't dream anymore. Um, and so we, we stuff ourselves in that box I was talking about. Um, but no, I think purpose is important because I think you have a better and a greater impact when you connect with your purpose and you're in alignment. I, uh, I have a friend who has a gallery here in town and she invited me to the opening night of it. And I remember that she was telling me, well, I mean, you know, you go through the different rooms and stuff and she was telling me about these two artists that were resident there and they were like 85. They were in their eighties, mid eighties. And they were at the, the peak of their artistic career, <laughs> you know? Which was, wow. just, yeah, it was phenomenal. I mean, they were making like metal sculptures and just, just art and, you know, just, just flowering with life. I mean, just abundantly creating. And I was like, wow, they're in the mid, they're mid eighties, man. That's just, that's inspiring. You know, that's really inspiring. And that's just goes to show you the impact of having a sense of vision in your life, you know, and that, yeah. how that grounds you, because I think we tend to get lost. You know, I think we tend mm -hmm. to get lost. You, you pick a vision, even if you find it, you start walking towards the vision. It's really far away. So there's a lot of chances for you to walk off the path and kind of get distracted. So what do you think are some of the things that people need to do every day to, okay, let's assume you've, you've kind of narrowed down your life purpose or you have some sense of contribution to society or you've kind of know who you are, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's a life practice. So what do you think is important for people to do once they've crossed that step to connect that vision every day so that they don't meander and meander mm -hmm. then pretty soon they're off in the jungle and they don't know how they got there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I um, always encourage 
folks with their leadership to be purpose driven. And, you know, this applies to you, even if you're not in leadership mm -hmm. per se, because uh, I believe even, uh, you know, everyone has influence. So people are watching you. It could be your kids. It could be people you work with, people at the grocery store, you know, people at your church, wherever I you like are. That. Everyone has yeah. influence. That's a good Everyone one. has influence. Yeah, my mentor, uh, John Maxwell says that, and I believe that. So I think in order to stay purpose-driven as a leader or a person of influences, you have to connect with that part of yourself every morning. Like for me, when I wake up in the morning, that's what I focus on. I don't focus on what I have to do that day, but I focus on getting centered around being grateful, around thinking about what it is that I want to do as far as accomplish. And that becomes easier. It starts me off for having a better day. Yeah. So I, th I, I tend to believe the same for, for the folks I help is that if you can wake up in the morning and know that, hey, I'm grateful for being here another day, I'm gonna have a good day today. These are some of the things I wanna do. I wanna make someone's day, or you know, I want to um, come to the end of the day and feel great about it, not feel exhausted at the end of the day. Then there's things you're gonna do to make sure that you accomplish that. Have you felt at some point, I guess recently maybe, because in the past everybody's felt stuck at some point, but have you felt <laughs> stuck? Have you felt stuck anytime recently with something? And if so, what did you do to get out of that? Wow. Yeah. Um, I was trying to make some decisions about kind of what I was going to do um, actually with a part of my business. I have um, two successful businesses. And one was going to take me on a path of being way more busy and taking time away from family. And the other path was going to be that I would slim down, get a little lean, get some help, and probably enjoy it more. But for me, you know, I like doing everything. <laughs> and so there's that boundary disturbance again. I was having to tell myself, well, the reason you're stuck is because you're trying to do it all. You're trying to do it all. You can still be just as happy and just as satisfied if you don't do it all. So what can you feel okay with giving up? That's what I had to coach myself. <laughs> what can you feel okay with giving up? I like that. Yeah. Because you have to give up something all the time. There's always a cost. Right. right. And then, you know, you start prioritizing. So it's like, at what expense? I hold on to this thing. That means I lose time with my kids. I hold on to this thing. I lose time with myself. I hold on to this thing. I'm less healthy. You know, what, at what expense? So no, it's not worth my kids. It's not worth my time. It's not worth my health. It's not worth my peace. It becomes easier to say no. Yeah. Was there, <laughs> was there something, what's been, let me put it this way. What's been the hardest thing for you to uh, let go or basically except as a cost. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mean like something I had to give up? Yeah. What's been the hardest thing for you to give up? You know, um, we were talking a, a ways back about how I'd gotten real sick and couldn't work um, yeah. for my employer, but the whole time I was a parallelpreneur. So I had my business and I had my job, right? I was doing both. Wow. Um, so even though I, I stopped working for the employer and decided, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I just went right into my business again. And so I really didn't feel a bump. But the thing I had to let go of was the perception that I had created of myself internally about who I was for that period of time I worked for that employer. Mm. Um, I had to let that go because I was going forward into something that was far greater for me and was going to have a greater impact on a whole nother set of people I didn't even know about yet. And, uh, yeah. What perception of your of yourself did you have when you were working for the, was it like a, a clinic or a hospital or? I worked for a government um, entity. Oh, gotcha. And so I, uh, it was a healthcare setting. And so there was a lot like um, I really had, a, and I was an intermediary between a number of different departments at the executive level. And so I had a large range of influence. And so um, you know, interact with hundreds and hundreds of people a day. Mm. And so, you know, I guess to a certain extent, I like the fact that I was able to lead at that level, but I, yeah. I, I decided that the cost to me was too great, 80 to a hundred mm. hours a week. And I was sick and I couldn't, because I was doing too much. 
That's a lot. I mean, a hundred hours a week is, is a lot of times. Crazy, right? I, how many, how many week, how many <laughs> hours are in a week? Wait. <laughs> I know. Let's, let's do the math on that. 120, 140. But you, you add the fact that I was on call nonstop and it was seven days a week because it's healthcare. It's 24 seven. Yeah. You know, it's just, it was, it was a, a monster. Yeah. So I had to let that go. Like that's not human. I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I've worked 70 hours a week, maybe 80, but 100 is insane. I can't even imagine doing that. Well, how did that work for you working 80 hours oh, a week? Oh, it's not did sustainable. You stop it? Yeah. yeah, it's not yeah, sustainable. It's not sustainable by any means. I mean, I have this perspective that every trait that we have is mm-hmm. kind of a it's a gift in disguise in the sense that it's it's like an imbalance, right? And an imbalance yeah. By, by definition, an imbalance has a path in space. It moves you somewhere. So, mm-hmm. you know, the imbalance of being a go, go, go type of person mm-hmm. when left to its own devices will lead you to the gift of realizing yes. the value of relaxing, letting go, all the opposite yeah. stuff, right? So I think that left to our own devices, these little mechanisms that we're born with, that we learn, mm-hmm. that we, you know, acquire, they are kind of the path by which we discover ourselves they have yes. to be that's the only way you know it's like if yes. you weren't type a you wouldn't have burned out to do yes to realize the value of the things that really matter you know yes. your family your health you know all these guys yes. so and what you kind of learn is the life lesson in that is you learn how to manage that because it's yeah. not a bad thing being type a yeah but then yeah. you realize kind of what your blind spots are and so you become more aware yeah. you know like for me in my uh situation i went off to um have one of my children. I went on maternity leave and I came back. They had hired eight people to do my job. Wow. Eight. What was I doing? I always say to people, what was I doing? You must add some extra limbs or something. I don't know. (laughs) I just think that's nuts. Right. But then I went back and I did it again and I just kept doing it because that was just how I was wired. So I had to unplug myself from that outlet and do something else rewire myself that's you know you rewiring I, I love that term because it's really your nervous system starts to get I, I call it voting like every time you're doing something you're voting a particular way meaning either yeah. i vote with my sympathetic or i vote with my parasympathetic and how you respond throughout the day you're constantly programming and sh- shaping yes. your nervous system and it's like when yes. you rewire you're literally rewiring yourself how did you were there any steps that you said, you know what, okay, I'm going to start doing this and like, mm-hmm. this is a no, like I'm not mm-hmm. non-negotiable. I'm going to do this every day and I, yes. to help me rewire. Yeah. Okay. So I was so sick. I was like confined in my house. And so were you I literally, with, by the way, if you don't mind well, okay. Yeah. I have, I have severe asthma. Oh, like wow. at first it turned out to not be so it was just mild. And then after I had my kids, it became severe. So like I almost died. I was wow. like sent to the emergency room. They had to do stuff on me. So, um, yeah, so it was pretty serious. And so coming back from having those episodes, plus I had adrenal fatigue, I just was like a fraction of myself. And so it would be exhausting for me to walk from one room to another. Like yeah. it was ridiculous. And so for me, it was, um, I had to work on my, I, 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 it seems overstated, but it's true. I had to work on my mindset. I had to, re, I had to meditate. I had to um, use deep breathing. Oxygen to your brain is extremely important. Uh, getting your blood flowing. I, um, when I was able to get more physical, I started doing stretching. Um, not, not yoga per se, but just getting myself limber and adjusting, um, those were things that I had to work on. I also started using positive affirmations, yeah, speaking nice. to myself in a positive way because I what was are some doing of your favorite lo- ones. Yeah, um, some of my favorite ones are "I have everything I need." Nice, right? Because for me, that spoke to my issue that I was having, where I felt there was a scarcity mindset, like yeah. I was missing out on something. No, I have everything I need. That would help me calm, or. Um, you know, something like I was created for greater. It would take me out of my circumstance. Mm. Um, yeah, I love it. I love affirmations. So I'm yeah. always curious to see what other people. Every, I just think that's so great. I love affirmations too, um, because I think it's important about the dialogue that you have going on inside and yeah. what you say to yourself. 
No, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, I was just talking to somebody I was working with the other day, which was, you have to find evidence all the time. Oh, because, yeah. Because your brain is already hardwired to find, you know, mm-hmm. evidence for the why it's not working and why your yes. life sucks and all this kind of stuff. Yes. So you have to find evidence and affirmations are evidence. You know, when something yes. happens that's positive, that's an opportunity to use it as an affirmation because yes. it happened, you believe it. And so now you kind of repeat that evidence. Yes. You know? So it's, yes. yeah, it's, uh, it's been a great practice. Yes. Affirmations. Yes. <laughs> I do that. I've worked with men and women that have suffered with imposter syndrome. And that's one of the ways that we kind of cut through that. We deal with the dialogue that's happening, but then I, I say, we, now I need you to show me the receipt. And then that's when we list out all the accomplishments, all the achievements, all the things that speak against what the negative self-talk is saying. And it is eye-opening and transformational for people. And I'm like, good, now you got it. Now continue to focus on that because that's the new perception. That's the new vision of yourself that we're going with. Love it, man. That's awesome. Do you have anything exciting coming up that you're looking forward to? Yeah, I do. I am having a webinar on September 29th um, called Career Confidence. And I'm going to teach people how they can uh, position powerfully for pivot, transition, and promotion. And so if you're wanting to register for that, um, you can go to Dr. Sanchez CC cc-webinar-register dr sanchez dash uh, uh dr sanchez cc-webinar-register sorry about put that. it in the show notes too so that way they have a link <laughs> good <for it. laughs> let's double through it dr sanchez it's been a pleasure what are you most grateful Thank for you. today what are you most grateful for i'm just okay so really i'm most grateful for the opportunity to speak with you tutor this has been an amazing experience and i was just um just over myself to be able to be here and and talk with you today thank you you're just so amazing right right back at you it's been awesome thank you thank you All right, all right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my friend, Dr. M.A. Sanchez. You know, I hope it's inspired you to see past your current limitations, wherever you happen to be in your career, if you're self-employed, if you're working for a company. Uh, you know, there's always an opportunity to move forward somewhere and to stand up for what you believe, to stand up for your own self-worth, to you know, for what you're worth, and, and really acting from that space and, and becoming a leader in your own life as well as in your career as well, so that you can get what you deserve out of this life. Life is too short, guys. Life is too short to be doing things you don't believe in, uh, to be getting paid, to not be getting paid what you're worth, you know, and, and all that stuff. So it's it's just too short for that. So ultimately, we want to always look where we're not being valued, look where we can push the envelope a little bit further, and really create the life of our dreams. Use this time that you're here to really play and fulfill your purpose and to enjoy, to enjoy ultimately everything the world has to offer for you. But you have to go and take it. You got to seize it. So make sure you check out that webinar, uh, seminar webinar that's coming up from Dr. M.A. Sanchez. It's Career Confidence, How to Position Powerfully for Promotion, Pivot, or Transition. That's coming up on September 29th, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'll put the link for registration on the show notes for this episode, that's going to be uh, danceoflife.com slash podcast. And then the show is 209 is the episode number. If you want to check out Dr. Sanchez more, she is at www.dravsanchez, S-A-N-C-H-E-Z. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today, guys. You know, such an inspiring set of things we talked about. And, you know, Dr. Sanchez is such a pro and superstar of what she does. So I'm super honored and grateful to have had the time with her to be able to share these things with you. If you know anybody that could benefit from this conversation or from that webinar, make sure you forward this episode to them. And as always, you know, let's remember our quote from the beginning. The way to achieve your own success is to be willing to help others get there first. Janla Vanzant. A motivational speaker and author. And, you know, one of the best ways to find yourself is another quote is in the service of others. It's by Gandhi. 
It's a common quote that I'm reminded of, especially the way uh, this one is phrased. Sometimes the fastest way to get ahead in life, to truly get ahead, is to help somebody else get there first. So those are your words of wisdom for today. Thank you so much for listening, for being here with me. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Tune in on Tuesday for a little transformation. Tuesday, we're going to do some health stuff. Talking about uh, health next week. On Friday, I'm going to be interviewing Alexa Rebecca. She's a health coach who overcame rheumatoid arthritis, anxiety, digestive problems, and she's helping people live a healthier life. So make sure you tune into that if health is important to you. We're doing a lot of golden nuggets there. And until then, remember your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.